0: Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, Episode 109. Mistakes Happen. How to Use Them to Strengthen Your Organization's Resilience. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success on the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks Chris. I'm Pam
1: Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated, and right across from me as always is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi Scott.
2: Hi Pam. And as always, it's wonderful to join you again for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. And if you're listening for the first time, our purpose is to spark insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for visionary leaders and their companies to accelerate to the next level of growth and success. So, Pam, people who know us and have been listening for a while know that we're fans of cinema. We like our movies, and we watched the Oscars last night. It was quite a show. It was quite a show, and it was great to see all the awardees and the little parachutes coming down from the ceiling with treats, but what was really exciting and maybe a lot of our listeners uh, have heard about it or even saw it, was live TV did its magic, and there was a real mishap at the very end for the Best Picture nomination. A
1: major mistake.
2: A major mistake. Uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway uh, were the announcers for Best Picture. Warren Beatty opened up the envelope and said the winner is, and he paused for a minute and looked confused, and uh, Faye Dunaway sort of kidded him about it. And he handed the card to her, and she read off, Winner is La La Land. And the crew and producers of La La Land came up and started to make their uh, announcements. And all of a sudden, uh, people were kind of scurrying around behind all the the, uh, crew and producers and cast. And uh, the producer for La La Land said, Wait, there was a mistake. We didn't win. The real winner is Moonlight. And everyone looked confused, everyone was milling around,
1: and there was a lot of shock. It was hard to tell at first whether it was just some stunt that uh, was being pulled off or whether it was real. And then it became very apparent that something real was happening.
2: Something real was happening. And here we have something that happens to all of us at various times, usually not quite so publicly. Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) But but mistakes happen. And sometimes they are relatively minor, Uh, sometimes... They're very serious. The fact is that we can't stop mistakes from happening. The question is, what do we do about the mistakes that are made? And how can our companies and organizations bounce back?
1: Now, it's natural to view mistakes as undesirable because they are. (laughs) They're expensive. They're embarrassing. They're harmful to one or more parties. Nobody wants a mistake. Of course not. The biggest problem with a mistake, though, is the more you resist it. Yeah. And you say, it can't happen. It won't happen. We're going to make it never happen again. And we're going to demand perfection. It can't happen because we're human. Yeah. And even machines make mistakes.
2: Of course. And so the question is, how can we possibly turn mistakes to our advantage?
1: We can. Because one of the things that I've said, and I'll keep saying, is that within every challenge is an opportunity. Right. Right. And so we need to look at what is the opportunity when you've got a mistake. It's the chance to strengthen your organization's resilience. Okay. We do that by learning.
2: Well, sure. There's a very strong norm that companies should learn from their mistakes, especially when the mistake is particularly embarrassing, like the Oscars incident, or has a lot of negative consequences. People want to get in, find out what happened, address it, fix it, learn from it, move on.
1: Yes. But are they learning in a way that enables them to be more resilient?
2: Okay. What, what do you mean by that?
1: Resilience is having the courage to look beyond the surface and not only come back mm-hmm. to where you were, but actually to bounce higher than ever before.
2: Okay, that sounds really good. But how how can a company actually do that?
1: Well, there are two components to doing this. The first is to frame the issue so that we're actually solving the right problem.
2: Excellent point. So in the case of the Oscars, for instance, you could view the mistake as the wrong envelope got handed to Warren Beatty, or you could view the mistake as whatever it was that led up to that, that caused the wrong envelope to be handed to Orrin Beatty. And that might be an even more important mistake to solve.
1: That's right. So how you frame the issue is going to be very impactful on the results you get okay. in terms of solving the problem.
2: Good point. So what's the second component of using mistakes as a springboard for actually increasing a company's resilience?
1: The second component is discovering and addressing the cultural issues that are linked to the problem and can lead to new opportunities. Mm -hmm. And these could include values, beliefs, practices. They also include the human dynamics of trust and communication. And that starts with the conversational habits of leaders.
2: Absolutely. And this is one of the key things that we focus in on when we work with our clients. Now, we've had a number of conversations with our friend Judith e. Glazer, about this very issue. And it's appropriate to revisit our discussion with her on how executives can increase their skills so they can have the right kinds of conversations at the right times to address mistakes or any other important issue in their organization. Judith is CEO of Benchmark Communications and chairman and co-founder of the Creating We Institute. She is the award-winning author of the best-selling books Creating We and Conversational Intelligence, How Great Leaders Build Trust and Get Extraordinary Results. You can access Judith's full biography by going to growthignitersradio.com, selecting episode 109, and scrolling down to resources.
1: We're going to take a quick break right now, and when we come back, we'll pick up on our conversation with Judith E. Glazer, author of Conversational Intelligence. Stay with us.
2: It's great to have you with us here on Growth Igniter's radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated. We focus on enabling visionary leaders to dramatically increase momentum in their companies for game-changing results and higher levels of success. We're on the web at businessadvance.com.
1: Does this topic resonate with you? Check out related episodes to expand your perspectives and take away even more immediately actionable ideas. Just go to growthignitersradio.com, episode 109, and scroll down to resources.
2: And while you're there, sign up for our weekly alert of upcoming episodes so you'll always be up to date.
1: Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Scott and I are talking today with Judith E. Glazer, CEO of Creating We, about building strong habits for powerful and effective conversations. Judith, how can people find out more about you and Creating We?
3: Um, we have a website, uh, www.creatingwe.com, and we also have another site with that features our book, Conversational Intelligence which is conversationalintelligence.com. And you can access
1: this by visiting growthignitersradio.com, episode 109. Now, we were talking in the first segment about the fact that there are these different levels of conversation, and there are really three, you said. Can you tell us more about how this allows us to expand what's possible in terms of engaging with others?
3: Yeah. When we're meeting other people, when we're meeting them for the first time, the first level is about connecting with another person. And there are certain conversational rituals that human beings go through when they're getting to know somebody else. Um, If you think about going to a party, you know, you share information, you exchange things about you, about what's going on in the world. That's natural and helpful because we're reading another person, not just through what they say, but through the 97% of what else is happening as we engage with another human being. So we start to feel a sense of trust when we first connect with someone and Mm -hmm. we can read trust in 0.07 seconds. That's how quickly it happens. It's a phenomenal statistic. It's it's outstandingly wild. And I went through science books to find that. So um, I'm not making it up, but that's what's going on. So there are energy fields that connect human beings. And it's like a dog sniffing somebody out. So that's an important level. A lot of times, you know, we don't do that well. And we use it for only one side of the dynamic, which is the tell part. So I'm going to tell you something, but I don't ask you very much. And that's part of what we feel is that those two dynamics are running in parallel. And if I'm doing too much talking and I'm not asking and I don't really care about you, then already the message goes to you have to be a little bit careful about this person because they may be very self-centric. So level one is important and we can't jump over it. It gives us a reading, if you will, on a person. Level two is when you get into conversations where there are points of view and positions and we either listen to each other or we don't. And positional becomes where we actually have a very strong point of view and our listening goes down to listening in a very particular way. When we get positional, we listen to hear where we can reinforce or influence someone to our point of view, which is a very different type of listening than what happens in level three, which I'll talk about in a, in a minute. So positional, again, is important because in business, in life, anywhere we interact with people and we have to make decisions, we have to take positions. And I don't say to people, don't take positions. I say, do. However, do it with the spirit of being generous to listen to another person and really inviting more time to listen to them than spending the time platforming what you have to say.
2: Or planning Um, what you're going to say next. Totally. Exactly
3: right. Exactly right. Um, And by the way, the brain drops out as we're listening to other people. It drops out to connect to what we're thinking every 12 to 18 seconds. We're doing an internal check on what I just heard, how it relates to what I need to say, and so forth. So that dynamic is also at play. Um, so that's two of the levels so far, both needed. This one helps us navigate with people. So the first one is mm-hmm. connecting. The next is navigating. And the last one is where we actually integrate our being. And I we don't even have words yet to describe what happens in level three, but it's where I use the word co-create, where we open mm-hmm. the space to grow with another person, where we enable a place in our brain to map them, the wholeness of who they are. Now, I, that may sound a little spiritual, but mm-hmm. it's really not. It's when we take in another person and are not judging, but we listen to connect. We ask questions for which we don't have answers as opposed to leading questions. We start to send messages to the other person that that they can trust us. Our mirror neurons open up in our brain, which are how we actually mirror another person's uh, psyche. And it's amazing the research that's happening now on what we pick up in terms of the neural networks that other people share with each other um, when we're in this place of level three. It, this is when we not only feel empathy, but we can hold a view of the world together like it's a universal picture of the world. We actually have pictures of how people are connecting their energetic fields. And that's when you say, wow, I really get you, or I totally see what you're all about or what you're thinking. And at that point, the kind of conversations, the decisions, everything we make is at a different level with a different chemical, with a different imprint. And it actually gives us a different sense of what the world is all about, or for that matter, what our conversation's all about. Does that make sense?
2: It does make sense. And what I'm hearing, Judith, that is really sinking in even more today is that all three of these levels of conversation are important in really connecting and moving on and getting to the highest level. So it's not like one is inferior to two and the positional is inferior to three. We have to go through that. And, but they have to balance and, and all come in at the right time. And then we can get to that really cohesive a unifying conversation where everybody's clicking away and we're feeding each other. And in the third section, I think we're going to talk about how we can build the habits to really make that happen most effectively. Uh
1: So in the meantime, can you tell us a story then about a CEO who moved from these different levels, the level one, level two to level three, and the impact that it had on a company's transformation and growth?
3: Uh, So this is really fascinating. This was actually someone who reported directly to the CEO, and I was asked by the CEO to go in to a meeting with him and to be part of the firing of this guy. And they wanted to fire him because he was so big on level one and level two. That's not what they called it back then because I didn't have the terminology until mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, but, um, but they, they knew that he was a really, what is, they called obnoxious with people, especially customers. And when he drank, he was always in level, th- uh, level two and being really tough on people. Anyway, I, took, I asked the CEO to let me coach him and I did. And for the first uh, conversation I had with him, he spoke for 19 minutes, 26 seconds without letting me in and I tried many times to be part of the conversation. So he was really stuck in level one and maybe level two as well. That phone call, the 19 minute, 26 second phone call was my platform to start a conversation with him that was life changing, as he said later, as we got to know each other better. What happened is I reflected back my experience being on the other end of that conversation and nobody had the courage to do that with him. And I asked him what he was thinking when he, kept rolling. Did he hear me? I wanted to check into his attention and what he was paying attention to, all the things that we were talking about in the first segment. And I finally got an inkling of glimmer somewhere in him that perhaps he wasn't always right and that other people were always wrong, that there might be something else for us to discuss. And by the third week, We talked more about intention and impact and how he showed up and his intentions and why and could he manage the ego and things like that, just all around these three levels. And he told me he was sitting in a meeting watching someone talk as though it was him before he had the insight that he had been missing something in conversations. And he said he felt so embarrassed to see somebody mirror his old behaviors that that chemical awareness, which I now call the third eye, was Mm -hmm. what actually created the transformation for him. It was the beginning of his self-awareness. That what he was doing needed to be done in a completely different fashion for him to get along with people, and the end result was he stayed with the company and produced millions of dollars of business. and people couldn't believe it. It was a lesson for everybody because they they totally many of the people that reported to him and worked with him said, "There's this guy you're not going to change. I know you're good, but you're not going to change this guy." And to this day, the, to tell you how hardwired it is, he called me six months ago to work with his son um, wow. for the same reasons, that sense of being caught in level two.
1: So that goes back to the habits that we have. Some of them are, right. Some of them uh, stay with us and they're harder to shake. It sounds like a real turning point when you were able to help him to see exactly what the impact was on other people. That's an amazing story. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more with Judith e. Glazer, CEO of Creating We, about actionable steps you can take to build habits of high conversational intelligence. Stay with us.
2: So, Pam. Can you tell our listeners why clients engage us to speak at events, conferences, and company offsites?
1: Well, they're seeking new insights for dramatically accelerating company transformation and growth. They're also seeking new leadership insights about themselves, their teams, and their organizations so they can make bold new decisions about strategy and implementation. It's been especially rewarding to find that some of our company offsites have resulted in breakthrough decisions that have generated as much as tenfold growth over five years.
2: So contact us today at businessadvance.com to arrange for a brief call to discuss your needs and options for helping you achieve your most important goals.
1: Welcome back to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been talking with Judith E. Glazer, CEO of Creating We, about building strong habits for powerful and effective conversations. Judith, how can people find out more about you and Creating We? We?
3: We have a website that they can go to, which is www.creatingwe.com. And also our exciting new book, Conversational Intelligence, has its own website as well. So conversationalintelligence.com.
1: And you can access all of this by visiting com, episode 109. So let's get back to our conversation here. We've been talking about what conversational intelligence is, uh, a wonderful success story that is very inspiring. So getting it back to what somebody can do as soon as they're done listening today, what would be some advice you could give for leaders who want to bring their conversational habits up to the highest level?
3: It's really, really a fascinating story. And for me, it starts with one thing. There is a giving tree of goodness that comes back when human beings decide to listen to connect to each other. So while it may sound like a simple thing, I have had leaders tell me that by changing their form of listening from judging, trying to figure out where they fit in, or realizing that they're monologuing, so listening to connect has been the most powerful shift for people. And again, I call it a giving tree because it gives so much back to you as you engage with people and find their chemistry shifts, therefore the way they see you shifts, therefore what they say to you shifts. It's just a, a positive spiral.
1: I think it's interesting what you're saying about listening to connect because even as we've been sitting here talking and we're in different parts of the country here, I'm listening to connect in a different way. And... It's very interesting. It does shift the attention.
3: And I'm so glad to hear that, Pam. There's something about actually instructing your brain which way to listen, that it clears out for some reason, it downregulates the cortisol that may be hanging out. There's a lot of new research about how we clear our brain of debris and cortisol hanging out Uh, which is non-functional for the moment, hangs out long. That's what we Mm -hmm. know. It has a 26-hour shelf life, right? So by focusing on listening to connect, we actually are activating the garbage disposal in our brain to pass through the cortisol and to enable room for oxytocin to be born. And it's
1: a conscious decision. I mean, what I had to do is Uh say, I'm going to listen in a very different way. And so that's the first thing. So I'm experimenting with doing this as we go.
3: And the rest is you need to learn to team up with your brain. That means that one step is to say, I intentionally want to do something. Then you have to know that you have what's called the reticular activating system, which is part of the lower brain that is what focuses our attention to different things. So instead of just doing one thing, that you also then invite your prefrontal cortex to connect with the reticular activating system. They're going to have a conversation about so what should I focus my attention on and how should I focus it? So it becomes a qualitative conversation that you are now orchestrating in your own brain to bring the symphony of different parts of the brain together to act on your behalf in a new way.
1: So when I'm doing this, I'm having a little trouble here. Can you, can you guide me a little bit okay. so that, so that I made the decision that I want to connect in a new way. Uh-huh. Now, how am I partnering with my brain differently?
3: Um, by, by voicing that this is your intention. Okay. And by, know, by knowing that you have a, a part of your brain that actually focuses attention, so It it, you hold your attention. People that, for example, get a lot of ADD can't Mm -hmm. hold attention on one thing. So you just speak to your brain about, let me stay focused. Let me extend the focus. It's like when you're learning how to run for a race and you can do a mile and then you can do three miles. It's talking to that part of your brain and saying a little more space, like literally give it, let's give it a little bit more space, hang in there a little bit longer. And you're actually stretching your capacity to listen and take in much more information about the person that you're communicating with
1: right it feels a little bit like letting go in a sense too Uh when you're doing that because you can't have what's next going on in your brain
3: yeah exactly right
1: so what's another point judith
3: uh it's asking questions for which you have no answers And these aren't questions like, what color is your favorite dress? Those are questions for which you have no answer, but it's very, it's transactional type of questions. It doesn't involve really exploring another person's being. When you ask questions about, what were you thinking about when I said this? I saw something shift on your face or, Mm. you know, had had you, when you were, I know that we talked about this once before, but it looks like you have a different point of view now. Share that with me. So that it's an inquisitiveness about how people are processing the world around them or questions where you can help another person think about something they'd never thought about before. So it's that generous uh, attention to someone else with questions that aren't transactional or aren't positional. Like a positional uh, question might be, you really agree with what I'm saying, don't you? Well, yeah, it has a question mark at the end of the sentence, (laughs) but nothing else in common with a a question like what we're talking about, right? So it's learning how to develop an appreciation for the types of questions that build better level three conversations the next time and the next time and the next time.
2: And it goes far beyond a yes, no.
3: Oh my goodness. Yeah. If you were to ask somebody a map, uh, put a person in the middle of a map, put their name and then say, what are the things that you want to know about this person? and see their first round of of ideas about what they'd like to learn about somebody else. A lot of people don't think that way about other people. Hmm. They think about how they might use another person in their life, but yet not have a lot of curiosities about the other person. And we're just beginning to tap into the difference between the questions that unite people and help them become part of a sharing of a new vision for reality. Those questions are very different than the ones that are much more inquisitive that are icentric centric in nature.
1: That sounds like a topic for a whole nother episode, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See?
1: See? This can go on and on. I, I'm very curious. I have to say, though, that everything you're talking about is so important, but habits, like all habits, conversational habits, take a while to develop. I mean, how patient do we need to be?
3: And I, I know that's a leading question, but you no, know, as you're developing this.
2: Or how do we develop the patience?
3: Yep. It's a good question. I'll tell you the most exciting way. I have a guy that I I wasn't making much headway with. And we started what was called the the three-second pause. And that was when he would talk to people. He was very bad at asking questions and very bad at listening, very good at directing people what to do and getting very frustrated when people didn't respond the way he wanted them to. And I had him practice the three-second pause where he'd wait and ask a question, learn how to ask a question, first of all, and then wait and uh, give the person time to respond instead of talking over that person. And he said, it was amazing. Again, that one thing created the insight that's behind conversational intelligence, that if you show up differently with another person, they will likely show up differently with you. If you repeat the same patterns, they will repeat the same patterns. And so by giving his wife, which is where he said he had the biggest response, three seconds so she could answer him and be part of the conversation in a deeper, more meaningful way, she said, tell Judith that you saved our marriage. And that's how important that one action was.
1: That's amazing. That is. Judith, this has been amazing, as always. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with today on this topic of building strong conversational habits?
3: be an experimenter. We have a dashboard, a conversational dashboard that says that we can hang out in Resistor and just do what we want to do and say what we want to say and not care very much about how it lands. That's the far end. And that causes us to go into protect behavior and cortisol spews, and it's not very good and healthy. But heading over to the right side is where we find co-creation. It lives in the very far right. And to get there, we have to pass through a gate, and that gate is being an experimenter or a mentor of an experiment. So my wish for people that are listening is that they will take something in their life, a relationship where they want to enhance and elevate it, uh, practice listening to connect and asking questions for which you don't have answer and keep a journal and see what kind of things change because those people that invest in these experiments not only become greater leaders, but they can share the wisdom that comes with this in beautiful ways with other people and actually start a, a catalytic change in their teams and in their organizations.
1: Good words to live by. Judith, thank you so much again for being our guest on Growth Igniter's radio.
3: My pleasure.
2: Thanks, Judith. And thanks out there for listening to growth igniters radio with pam harper and scott harper to check out resources related to today's conversation share on social media find out about upcoming episodes or open a conversation with us go to growthignitersradio.com and select episode 109
1: until next time this is pam harper and scott harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to think about and discuss with your leadership team so what can we start doing today
2: to become more aware of and to improve our conversational habits.
0: Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters radio are service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniter's radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses, including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated, are prohibited. All rights reserved.